Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we're back with a new season, uh, celebrating the launch of my newest book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, From Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again, published by InterVarsity Press, our publishing partner. So throughout this season, I'm very, very excited to be able to offer you some additional voices. You know, I relied more on the voices of our community in the writing of this book, uh, people who have been close to us, experimenting and exploring with us the practice of Sabbath. And so I was able to bring more of those voices into this podcast season, and I am really excited about that. And I think that you're going to enjoy these voices. And I've invited them not only to receive questions from me, but I've invited them to bring their questions to ask me. And so you know that I love Q&A and I'm going to love hearing what questions they have and what's been stirred up for them in reading the book and already being involved in the practice. We're also introducing a segment that we're calling What Your Soul Wants to Say to God. At the end of every chapter in this new book, I've included a section entitled What Your Soul Wants to Say to God because I think that the Sabbath practice needs to emerge from longing and desire that stirs up uh, in our own souls, not oughts or shoulds or anything like that, but really the deepest desires of the heart for a way of life that works. And so because I have that kind of a section throughout the book, I wanted to conclude each one of our sessions uh, speaking with my guest, asking my guest, what does your soul want to say to God at the end of this conversation? And then letting them ask me, what does your soul want to say to God at the end of this conversation? So that's how we're going to end each one of our episodes. And then finally, As we embark on this new season of the podcast, I am very excited about our Patreon content. Uh, This season has been so full of abundance because we have so many guests joining us and so many people who have wonderful things, wonderful experiences to share that sometimes we've had to take some of the content from different conversations and put them into our Patreon feed. And sometimes we actually ask each other this one final question and sometimes the very best stuff comes out at the very end. You're going to find really good stuff, really good content on Patreon this season. And so I'm encouraging you, if you want to take this conversation further, if you want to hear those things that took us just a little bit deeper or a little bit closer, to some of these big final thoughts, please go over to Patreon, join up, and you will get regular content throughout the season as one of our patrons. Well, I'm really excited in this first episode to be welcoming my friend, Pastor Rick McCall, into the conversation, and he'll actually be leading the conversation in some ways. But before we invite him to join, I wanted to say a few things about the book myself. Just as the author of the book, sometimes I think about a birthing metaphor, like as the mother of the work. I want to say a few things just to frame it up before we begin all these really exciting conversations. When you begin writing a book that others have written on and have written on beautifully, and of course the subject of Sabbath is such um, an important topic that many have written on it beautifully, you have to think, where am I going to deal with the subject? What am I going to bring that might be different and fresh? And so for me, in writing about the Sabbath, there were a few things that felt distinct, and I wanted to just mention a few of those so that you'd know where we're headed, both in the season but also in the book itself. First of all, I'm driving a pretty big stake in the ground to say that Sabbath is not merely a lifestyle suggestion. It is one of the Ten Commandments, after all, that God has not taken back as far as I know or as far as I have seen. 
It is also a practice that Jesus himself engaged in because he was a practicing Jew. Jesus didn't teach on the Sabbath, but he practiced it faithfully and regularly, and he actually talked about it and reframed it in some ways that are very helpful for us today. And so to move from just the idea of it being a commandment, uh, more than a lifestyle suggestion, but also that it's one of God's greatest gifts. And so in this first episode in particular, we're going to talk a lot about the Sabbath as one of God's greatest gifts to us, his beloved children. In addition, in this season and in the book itself, we're talking about Sabbath as a way of resisting the forces of culture, helping us to find liberation from our bondage to certain cultural issues and also to our own inner drivenness. And so we're going to talk about Sabbath not just as a soft resting kind of a discipline, but also as a stronger resisting sort of a discipline that actually confronts some of the ways in which we're in bondage and move beyond any idea that it's just a matter of privilege because it's not. It's a it's something that is actually intended to deliver us from our oppression. We also, in the book, talk about the fact that Sabbath is not merely a private discipline, but that it's a communal discipline. And this is one of my greatest motivations in offering a new piece of writing on the subject, is that I think that we have mistakenly thought about solitude and silence and Sabbath as being all the same thing, and it's not. Sabbath is not solitude and silence. Sabbath is a communal practice intended to be practiced with those that we live with and are closest to. It's also meant to be experienced in our communities and in our congregations, led by leaders who are practicing sane rhythms of work and rest themselves. And so really moving us into a communal approach to Sabbath keeping as being very essential. I also really wanted to get at some of the seasons of life and how those are impacted by Sabbath. That was something I felt was missing in some of the literature. So we're going to talk very specifically about the seasons of our lives and how the seasons of our lives affect our Sabbath practice. And then very much going to talk about Sabbath as a spiritual practice that does what all practices do. I think more than any other writing I've done on the subject, I am really driving a stake in the ground around the fact that this is a spiritual practice that we can engage in that open us to something that God can do for us that we cannot do for ourselves, which I find to be so exciting to think that this could be a practice that could open us to God's transforming work. You're also going to notice that the book and thus this, this season of the podcast is going to be sort of divided into two parts. One is going to be about Sabbath and the other part's going to be about sabbatical, which I believe is just an extension of our Sabbath practice. And so especially for those of us who live and work in spiritual communities, we want to see sabbatical as part of a Sabbath life and begin to embed that sabbatical practice into our Sabbath rhythms. So I hope this gives you a little bit of an idea of what's in the book and how the book approaches this topic, but also where we're going in the podcast season. And I'm so excited about the guests that we'll be having and the conversations that are coming up for all of us. I hope that you enjoy this season of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend and long-term Transforming Community member, Pastor Rick McCall. Rick has been in Transforming Communities 10, 
13, 16, and currently Transforming Community 18. And he has let me know that he has told the people that employ him that it is a condition of his employment that he is able to be in a Transforming Community at all times. So I'm excited about that. Um, He currently serves as senior pastor at Conroe Church, just north of Houston. Rick is married and also has two sons, two daughters-in-laws, and two young grandsons. Rick, welcome. It is so good to have you, you with us today. And you'll be in some ways leading the conversation today. I've heard you're going to be our hype man about this new book. And so I welcome you. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I keep telling people this one was a hard birth. It really was a hard birth for some specific reasons. And I don't know if we'll get into all that, but... Um, I am grateful that the baby is here and grateful to be in conversation with you about it. So why don't you begin with some of the things that you're wondering about? Oh, thank you. Well, you know, the, uh, the book is extraordinary and I, you know, I don't, I don't mean that as hyperbole, but it's, it's just such a compelling read. Uh, and it's, it's very winsome, which that's one of your words. And I, I hadn't heard that word used very much in my lifetime until... You don't use that word in Texas? <laughs> well, we probably should because it's a great word. But uh, we, we haven't. And you know what? Uh, the thing about that book is that is so amazing, and I will be a relentless shill for this book until I don't have any more breath because I really believe that it has the opportunity to probably save some careers and maybe even be make an eternal difference in some lives. I, I really feel like it's that strong of a book. And I, I think it's going to be uh, very transformative in the lives of so many pastors if they will slow down and take the time to read it. And uh, which is part of the, the give and take of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It's part of the, the yin, yin and yang of it. So anyway, I just was reading through this book. It was an amazing read. It was awesome. It was very challenging. Um, I was thinking, you know, the the accessibility of the book came across to me first. I just wanted to say this because if anyone is listening and they're wondering, should I pick this book up and read it? It has the depth of great academia, but it's very accessible, which you're really good about that. I think that's a great gift that you have. And being able to communicate very easily and uh, applicably. And so it has that, but man, that book, it just kicked my mm. butt. Gently and winsomely, right? Gently and winsomely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. winsomely for the most part. There were a couple of times when I had to back up and go, wait, what? whoa, whoa. Like, for example, the passion that is, you can see the passion is just about palpable in that book. And you always write that way, but you can tell when someone is passionate about a subject as opposed to when, you know, it's a clinical treatment or something like that. And this very clearly is a, is a passionate offering of yours. And I was curious, not that your other books are not passionate. They all are. But this one, man, I could just feel it leap off the pages. So what? where did that mm-hmm. come from? Where did that thing start for you? Well, you know, people who have read some of my other books know that I have addressed Sabbath. I've touched on it in Sacred Rhythms. I had one chapter on the Sabbath, and then in Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, I had a, a, a chapter on the Sabbath. But I, maybe one of the reasons you feel the passion is because I resisted Sabbath keeping for so long. Like, really, for, you know, all of my adult 
you know, life up until my 40s. I had resisted Sabbath keeping, even though I knew it was a Ten Commandment, even though we had practiced it in my own pastor family. I'm a pastor's kid, and we had practiced it, but we had practiced it in a very legalistic way, and so I had really, truly kicked Sabbath keeping to the curb. I was just glad to get out of my family so that I didn't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because of the way we were doing it, like we had to stay up, dressed up in our dressy clothes. We um, always had company because we were the pastor's family. And of course, who works hardest when you have the company? It's going to be the women. Yes. And so I, I just d- just didn't have any use for it. And then in my own married life, I'm an, I'm an achiever. And so I didn't want to take one day off from achieving. I mean, I was really adamant about that. Sunday was a good day to get things done. And then on top of that, life in our current culture made it difficult too. So I have, I had daughters who were athletes and their sports teams played on Sundays. My husband's a banker. And so his bank was open. I, worked on a pastoral staff. And so it was a very busy day for those of us who are in church staff. And so it was in the too hard file. I mean, it was just completely in the too hard file. But then, you know, God knocked me off my horse, kind of almost literally knocked me off my bike. And this guilty pleasure that I'd had about starting to dream about Sabbath keeping as I got tireder and tireder in my life, the way I was living it, Um, I would read books about the Sabbath. They'd be so delightful. I would actually cry, but then I would set them aside because I didn't think it was possible for me in my current life. And so then when I got knocked off my bike and God slowed me down, God began to deepen my desire for Sabbath keeping. And so I began to to practice and to believe that maybe somehow I could have this beautiful thing. So that's one thing is my own journey kicking and screaming towards Sabbath keeping until now. It's just the centerpiece of my life in God. I mean, it just is the kingpin of my sacred rhythms. So it's very, very personal. I say in the book that I believe that Sabbath keeping more than any other practice has literally saved me saved my life. I don't know if I'd be here doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Sabbath keeping. But then the other thing that has made me even more passionate about it as time goes by is that as I've started to speak out of this passion, and others have started to have a passion too for Sabbath keeping, those around me, those who are close to me, I began to realize that it's not only life in the culture that keeps us from Sabbath keeping, but it is actually life in the church that is keeping us from Sabbath keeping. We are now so busy in the church, Mm -hmm. and we have loaded so much activity onto Sundays that now my experience is that it's the church more than it is the secular culture that keeps us from practicing Sabbath. And so some of the passion that you feel that's really rather raw in some places is that I am just so mad about the fact that the church is now (laughs) keeping us from Sabbath keeping. And I'm like, why can't we figure this out? Um, And as I dug into it, I realized that Sabbath keeping, the way it was originally offered to us is a communal practice. And without the support of our communities, our Christian communities, I think it's almost impossible for people to practice Sabbath in any sort of a meaningful way. And so now I'm, I'm extremely passionate about the communal nature of Sabbath keeping and how churches and spiritual communities and Christian ministries can actually order our lives around this practice. Otherwise, I, I just don't think it's possible for people if the communities that we're in are not supporting and teaching and guiding this, this, this practice. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it's, that is so counterintuitive to the way churches are. I hate to use the word "run," but that may be the right mm-hmm. word. It it is it has become so. You know, I thought uh, I know we're going to talk about this later when we talk about sabbatical, but 
that that brings to mind. So um, I was a youth pastor for many years, and then I switched over into spiritual formation, uh, and I didn't know what it was at the time. It was- That's hilarious to me. Like they named a pastor a spiritual formation, and you didn't even know what it was. <laughs> well, no, I, this, you're, this it's worse than that. Oh. I actually. <laughs> But that's how I, I got into this. And so as a spiritual formation pastor, one of my big projects to begin with is I thought, wouldn't it be great if we were so, since we're so busy in this culture, and this was uh, 2007, wouldn't it be so so great if we stopped everything that wasn't essential, tore our lives back down and built from a foundation back up, putting my thought at the time was just putting in spiritual practices to begin with this prayer and scripture and solitude. And I was so excited. I had a a committee. I brought this before the elders and uh, they thought that was the craziest idea in the world. And it was, it was, I called it 40 days, Mm -hmm. a 40 day fast from busyness. And I thought that was the craziest thing in the world because they said, what will we do? And I went, nothing. And uh, we didn't get to do it. They wouldn't. Wow. They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't. They wouldn't uh, carve the time out in the calendar to do that. So that was, I did mm-hmm. it later when I moved into senior pastor role. But that's what I, I agree. As a pastor, that's what we're up against. We schedule and schedule and schedule and schedule and schedule, and we have become our own worst enemies without knowing. It's kind of like frog in the kettle, I guess. Yeah. So I'm in this book, just unabashedly addressing pastors and leaders who have the opportunity to shape their community's life around whatever they choose. And in, and I'm saying, could we possibly consider shaping our community's lives around this great gift that God has given to us? And that is the gift of the Sabbath and Sabbath rhythms. Yeah, I I was reading through it and I was enjoying it and I was making notes and I was I was being challenged by it and uh and I was I thought minding my own business and thought I'm I'm learning here and then I hit chapter 4 of the book and I got to the end of that and I went she's talking to me because it was all about the leaders and uh I almost did, I almost physically jumped back cuz I went this is all about it's not just about me but it's about how we can lead a church into that. And that is something I had never, that's never crossed my mind until I read mm. this book. And I've really been pondering that and been in a discussion with a friend about that. Uh, how could that look and what kind of time would that take? Which, uh, which leads me to a question. So one of the things, when I started getting involved with the transforming community, one of the things that I had not really thought of, but it's all through scriptures, rhythms. And of course your book, which I think sacred rhythms may be the foundational book of yours. Uh, all of them are in incredible, but that one kind of lays the foundation for a lot of the other things that you talk about. And the rhythms is something that is, that I wasn't used to. I, I was in mm-hmm. rhythms, but they were all bad rhythms. Uh, and <laughs> you know, it's like a hamster. I'd slow down on the, on the wheel and then I'd speed up on the wheel and that I had two speeds and that was it. But I was on the wheel always. <laughs> that is not and, a sacred rhythm, Rick. <laughs> no. And there's that is no pretty beauty. destructive. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, and it, uh, you know, there's story behind that, but it, it has been. And, um, you know, you, you say the beauty is in the rhythm in your, in your book. That's a phrase that stood out to me. Talk to me about how the beauty is in 
the rhythm because that mm-hmm. is that's a for has been a foreign concept to me and i think probably to it's going to be to a lot of people yeah well um sometimes i think that we i don't know if this is western or what it is but we we create these false dichotomies so you know work and rest and so rest is good work is bad you know so we we elevate one over the other and that's what we do. Rhythm, I think, rescues us from all of that and redeems all of that to say that, no, it's not that one is better than the other. It's that it's the rhythm between the two that's actually beautiful. So Sabbath and work are two aspects of a rhythm. And the beauty is in the fact that we work, that we partner with God in the work that God's doing in the world. We partner with God in accomplishing God's purposes in the world. We give our best to it. We leave it all in the field. And then the other part of the rhythm rhythm is the resting. And so the beauty is in the rhythm between the two. Rest is not better than work, and work is not better than rest. The beauty is when we're living our lives between these two really good things, because work is also really good. Work is the opportunity to partner with God and God's purposes in the world. It is a privilege to partner with God through work. And so we need to see this as being a rhythm and not elevating one as being good and one as being bad. The beauty is in the rhythm. So yes, on the other six days of the week, we work and we see that as being our partnership with God. And then on the seventh day, we rest and we experience that part of the rhythm. We do not ever allow ourselves to believe that one is better or higher than the other. We see the beauty and the goodness as we live within the rhythms between work and rest. And that's a point that I make strongly at the beginning of the book, because I don't want to elevate rest over work. They're both really good and really important. And the, the important thing is to establish a balanced rhythm between the two. Right. Without balance, I, either one of them could be bad if they were out of balance. That's right. Because rest could be uh, purposelessness, meaninglessness, mm-hmm. because work gives meaning to to our lives here on this earth as we see it as partnering with God to bring about God's purposes on on the earth. That makes our lives meaningful. Work contributes to making our lives meaningful. And then on the Sabbath day, then we look at our work, we savor our work, we see the goodness in our work like God did in Genesis. We find, you know, we find the meaning in our work, we rest from it so that we're able to engage it again from a rested place when we come back to it. Right. That makes, that makes all kinds of sense. You know, I mean, Adam, Adam had work from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a gardener. So that leads me to, to wonder, one of the things that you talk about is the why God gave us the Sabbath in the first, you know, in the first place. And, you know, Jesus says, I didn't make the man for Sabbath. Uh, I mean, Sabbath for humans. And so what is the understanding of, of that concept that Jesus talks about? Why is it important to understand God's heart in giving us the Sabbath, the reason that he gave us the Sabbath? Because I, I've, I have gotten, it's just like you can collapse into a chair and rest for me for a long time. What do you think it is, mm-hmm. his, his heart and intention for giving us the Sabbath? Well, it's interesting to notice that the Sabbath is not a lifestyle suggestion. Mm. And I think that's pretty important to become aware of, that it's not a lifestyle suggestion. It's actually Mm. one of the Ten Commandments. It's the Fourth Commandment. Now, I know that I've run the risk of making Sabbath-keeping feel kind of legalistic by naming and reminding us of the fact that it's a Ten Commandment. But let's remember also that the Sabbath was given before the Ten Commandments, and it was given out of the goodness of God's own heart. 
um, God, being God, had that rhythm for God's self. So, you know, before there were commandments, before there were the people of Israel, Sabbath actually began with God, and it began with God's way of doing God's life to its very best. And so God, even though God doesn't need to rest because God's not limited like we are as human beings, God worked six days and rested on the seventh. And so to me, what's in that is that God knows how he created us and God knows that we need rest in order to be able to live our lives optimally. The other thing that's interesting to me is that um, because we know that God rested, then to rest is actually to participate in God's nature, which I find to be mm, so thrilling. Yeah, you know, yeah. We are partakers of the divine nature, and that choosing to enter into rest is actually choosing to participate in this aspect of God's very nature, which is wonderful. It's exciting to me to think that I'm participating in God's nature when I rest yeah. like God did. Um, Didn't you say then, in the book, too, that was part of it, that was the first thing that's considered holy? Yes, it's the first thing that's called, you shall keep the Sabbath day you, and, and yeah. keep it. It's holy. It's the first thing that God identifies and calls holy. Um, and holy means set apart. So set apart mm -hmm. for a sacred purpose. And so the Sabbath is set apart for a sacred purpose. Um, the other thing that's just so true about God's heart is that God's the one who created us. So God's, God knows what we need. God right. knows that we weren't created. God did not create us to be the energizer bunnies going you know, going and going and going and going and yeah. going. God created us with this need for rest. And it's an expression of God's goodness that there would be one day a week in which God, our creator, says, you can just rest today. You can delight in my good gifts to you, delight in the life that I've given to you, feel my delight in you, even when you're not doing anything. Um, and that this is a way in which I am gifting you with the beauty of the life that I've given you, and I'm giving you an opportunity to savor it. I'm giving you an opportunity to know that I regard you, that I delight in you, that I value you, and I love you, even when you're just being, not doing. And so this idea of delight that we'll get into later in the season is so wonderful because I think it's not only God giving us the opportunity to delight in God's good gifts to us and to savor them on the Sabbath, but also to experience God's delight in us, even mm -hmm. when we're not doing anything uh, yeah. productive or achieving anything. We experience God's delight in us. It's so lovely. And I've gotten to the point where I do experience God's delight in me on the Sabbath. Beyond all that I do for God, I experience God delighting in me just as the person, the being that God created, just as mm -hmm. I am, even when I'm not achieving. So it's a beautiful thing to, you know, once a week to disconnect from my human doingness and to experience God delighting in me in my human beingness. It's really, oh, that's really good. lovely. Yeah. Well, okay, that brings me though to wonder this. So in the book, you talk about a progression and it's, it's really, really fascinating. I never, ever thought of it, but I have, I have historically gotten some of that confused. So you have a daily rhythm of, of spending some time in prayer and scripture, or whatever your spiritual disciplines are for the day, some, some time in solitude. Then you have a, a, a weekly Sabbath day and then a, a sabbatical. And that's uh, so you go from little to medium to big kind of, but it's a mm -hmm. progression. And I have gotten confused on Sabbath before, and this was something that came out really powerfully in the book, I thought, that Sabbath is not, we're not talking about being quiet and being in silence and solitude for 24 hours. There's a, that's a whole different topic. 
Sabbath yeah. is uh, involves a lot of things. Uh, what is the Sabbath? Yes, look and like I think. Yeah, and I think that that's a mistake that we make, and I think it's why Sabbath seems so out of reach for many people, is because we equate Sabbath with solitude and silence. And so one of my goals in this book is to extricate the two um, and to say Sabbath is different than solitude and silence for a couple of key reasons. One is that solitude and silence, by definition, are being with God and God alone with God and God alone. Sabbath, by definition, is a communal discipline. It is something Mm. you do with the people that God has given you to be in community with. Your spouse, your family, at whatever stage you're in, your church community, that Sabbath was given to the community of the Jewish people. When God called forth a people for himself, he embedded within their existence this opportunity to, to cease together. Sabbath, uh, by definition, means to cease our work so that we can rest. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity is given to us in communities. And so whole communities need to figure out how to order their lives together. So, of course, if you've got young children and you think that Sabbath is about solitude and silence, you're going to say, well, I can't possibly do that. But that's not what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is you are a family of young with young children in it. Figure out together how you're going to cease and rest on this day. Yes, there are tasks for parents to do. Always will be. But there are ways that we can cease and rest together. And Sabbath, in its very essence, is about enjoying God's good gifts to us, delighting in God's good gifts to us, which include our families. And together, figuring out how to cease our frantic effort and to rest together in God's presence. So if this book could do that one thing, and that is clear up the distinction between solitude and silence and Sabbath keeping, I would be thrilled because I think (laughs) it would put Sabbath keeping more in the category of being doable for many of us Mm. and also um, help us to order our lives in community so that we can all have it because it's going to take the life of the community ordering itself around Sabbath keeping to ensure that we can all actually practice a Sabbath. So it's a very, very important distinguish, a, a distinction that I'm hoping this book actually serves to clear up. Well, and you make, the, you make the point in the book that we kind of tend to have this idea of Sabbath as rest, but it, there's, and that's true, but there's more to it. There's ceasing and stopping. That, mm-hmm. that was really, really clear of work. And we kind of think, well, you know, we're falling exhausted into a chair and getting a nap uh, and trying to, to recover from the week when, and maybe check our email every once in a while when really oh, that's ceasing <laughs> and stopping. I know that's going to be a yes. whole different topic you're going to yeah, talk about. It's going to be a whole different topic. We're going to hit that one hard, baby. Yeah. <laughs> we got to. We've just yes, got to. Um, yeah. So, um, And of course, we want there to be naps. I mean, there should be naps on the Sabbath and if there's any way to order your life. But here's the thing. If you've got young children and they're taking naps, typically during the rest of the work week, you're going to work really hard during their Mm -hmm. nap time. Mm -hmm. But on the Sabbath, when they take a nap, you take a nap because you've been instructed to take a nap as well. Um, And on that day, it's kind of actually delicious to take a nap because you know that's exactly what God wants you to do. And how great is that to know that you are taking a nap because God has instructed you to allow Sabbath to at least be in part about resting. And of course, um, you know, I do talk about the fact that we rest in more than just one way. Resting is more than, like you said, falling exhausted into a chair and falling asleep. Um, There's also rest for the mind, 
which part of that is going to be to unplug from technology. And there's also rest for the soul. And so if there is a way for us to get some solitude and silence in the context of Sabbath, you definitely should, because that is a kind of resting. It's resting from the hard work of thinking and producing and achieving and trying to figure things out that we engage in all the way uh, through the week. But if we have young children, maybe at a certain stage in life, it would be difficult to get much solitude and silence during that week. But because that can be part of our Sabbath practice, maybe we can work together with our spouse to get some of that. But it's not the primary function of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Sabbath is not primarily about solitude and silence. Sabbath is primarily about resting, ceasing and resting and delighting in God's good gifts to us and receiving those deeply and fully. Well, the the idea of delighting too is something that's kind of foreign to us because uh, people tend to turn into workaholics pretty easily. And so that aspect of Sabbath is, I think, difficult as well. We're also thankful for our sponsor, Good Kind, a company that creates beautiful, tangible practices that draw people together and towards God. And they are a really fitting sponsor for this season because they have created a Sabbath box to help families practice Sabbath together. So check them out at goodkind.com dot shop and see what they have to offer you and your family. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. You know, I was reading through the book and I noted several themes or I guess threads that run through the book. And let me run these by you right quick and tell me why they are so important in understanding uh, or so crucial, I guess, would be a better term for Sabbath. So one theme that runs through the entire book, the thread of trust is through is woven in every mm-hmm. chapter. Trust. What do you mean by that? Why is trust such a crucial concept for Sabbath? Yeah. Well, this goes all the way back to the Israelites and their practice of the Sabbath. And early on, when God gave them the Sabbath, God was feeding them daily with manna and with quail. And there was this instruction relative to the Sabbath that you're supposed to collect for two days on the sixth day so that you don't collect anything on the seventh, which means that built into the early practice of Sabbath keeping was the fact that they were going to have to trust God that the work that they did in the six days would be enough to carry them through the seventh. And at the beginning of their practice, they could not, it literally couldn't wrap their heads around it. So they would gather on the sixth day and then they'd go out on the seventh and they wouldn't find any, you know, any manna there. And that would cause them to go into a tizzy. And Moses had to continue to bring them back to the fact that, no, you got to do it God's way. And God has said that God will provide for you if you gather on the six days or work on six days and then rest on the seventh. So they would go back and try it again and practice it again. So I think that's our challenge as well, is that we are being asked to trust God even when we feel like there's too much to do. We can't get it all done in six days. I really have to work on the seventh day. We're being asked to trust God that the work that we can do in six days is going to be enough if we do what God is asking us to do on the seventh day, and that is rest. And I think many of us, as we try to practice Sabbath, are going to come up against that issue. Can I trust that the work that I've done in the six days can carry me through and will be enough in my life? Can I trust God that God can work through my efforts that I've offered on the six days 
and make it enough through the seventh day. Sort of like sometimes I think about the five loaves and two fishes where God Mm. multiplied the five loaves and two fishes so that it was enough. I think Sabbath keeping will also bring us back to the issue of trust. Can I trust God with God's way for me? Can I trust God knowing who I am and what I can take and that I need the seventh day to rest? Can I trust God that the work that I've done in the six days that God can make it enough? So I think Sabbath keeping is always going to take us right up to this question of trust in all those different ways. Can I trust God with the work that I've done that God can make it enough? Yeah, and that actually, that's a big leap for all of us. Oh, it is. That's not just a small step. That's a big leap of trust so that that really is healthy for our our faith in so many so That's many right. different ways uh you know the theme the the theme of gift comes up early in the book i had never thought of sabbath that way i uh and some might even think of it as a reward but mm-hmm. framing it as a gift change it that's a game changer for sabbath completely mm-hmm. why do you think it's important to have the mindset of sabbath as a gift as opposed to it's a reward for working six days or along those lines. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you picked up that thread because that part is what really changed for me as I left a very legalistic approach to Sabbath keeping. And, you know, as I said, I was part of a pastor's family and we handled the Sabbath and kept the Sabbath in a very legalistic way. And it didn't feel like a gift to me at all. Mm. It just felt like something that I had to do. And when all the things that I normally love to do, I couldn't do, you know, we were in church both morning and evening. And so there was just these few hours in the afternoon, but we weren't allowed to go swimming or ride our bikes. And, you know, like we worked really, really hard to host the people from our congregation. And so nothing about that felt like a gift. Uh, It felt like we were obeying a commandment. And it is a Ten Commandment, and so, uh, the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and I think maybe that's one reason why framing it as a gift is important, is to claim it back from just the idea of being a commandment to being a commandment because it is a gift. I mean, that's what I want to <laughs> say, is that it's a commandment because it is a gift, and it's a gift that God does not want us to miss out on. Um, and so as I you know, was in my early 40s and God knocked me off my horse and actually helped me to understand how much I needed Sabbath and what a gift it could be in my life, shifting my own ideas to it being a gift from God to me to help me to live a sustainable life, to give me the opportunity to love my life and to delight in my life and to let God delight in me, uh, reframing it and going back to the earlier you know, way of receiving it as being God's gift to us in our humanity actually reframed the whole thing for me. And so seeing it as a gift has helped me to enter into it in such a way as to embrace those things that make it feel like a gift versus feeling like something that's oppressive and something that I have to do and that robs me of the things that I delight in, you know, in this life. So I think if we can see it as a gift, then we can receive it differently. Yeah, that's good. That's well, absolutely, because you talk about some of the ways that you have benefited in, uh, from taking a Sabbath, a regular Sabbath, and mm-hmm. some of the ways it's changed your life. And, and you say you're a different person on the Sabbath mm-hmm. in the book. And uh, I mean, that's very, very enticing. And mm-hmm. that's not the thing that we tend to think of when we think of Sabbath. I think I speak for many people, at least. You say it's transformative, but you also say it's essential. And that that word, it just leaps off the page at me when you say essential. And I know you mean that in a in a life giving way. What do you mean when you say Sabbath is transformative, but it's also essential? Mm -hmm. 
Well, the word transformation is obviously really important to us in the Transforming Center. It has to do with the work that only God can do in us, you know, transforming us from the stuck people that we are to people who can actually be open and receptive and responsive to the presence of God within in, in such a way that God changes us and that there are spiritual practices that open us up to God's transforming work. And I think in the work that I've done in this book, more than any other piece of writing that I've done about Sabbath, I have identified it as a spiritual practice that actually creates space for God to do the work that only God can do. I have never been that clear about it in my other writings as I have been in this book, that it is a practice that opens us to God's transforming work, and that is work that we cannot accomplish for ourselves. So what is it that happens in me that is work that only God can do as I enter into this practice. Well, one is the work of trust. I mean, that every single week I have to really face my trust issues, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have to face whether or not I am willing to trust God with my very life by doing what God has told me would be best for me. So every single week I have to wrestle with the fact of, Did I get enough done this week? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. There's going to be no end to the amount of work. Like this last Sabbath, there's no way I'd finish my my week. I had not finished my work for the week. I had not finished the work that would prepare me to engage Monday. But I still had to say, I'm going to trust God that what I did in the in the six days last week is going to be enough. And I will, it will be enough for what I need to do on Monday. It doesn't feel like it right now, but I'm going to trust God with my life, with myself, with what I know is facing me next week. That it's always a way in which I open up to trusting God in, in deep and practical and concrete ways. Secondly, the work of contentment You know, the rest of the week we are in the world of consumerism where everything that goes on in the world is meant to entice us to buy things and to to feel like we need things that we don't need. On the Sabbath, I open up to God doing the work of contentment. And as I delight in my life as it's been given to me, I experience contentment in a way that I don't experience it through the rest of the week. And godliness with contentment, I mean, that is a characteristic Mm. of a deeply spiritual life, godliness Mm -hmm. with contentment. And on the Sabbath, God works within me, helping me to let go so that I can be content with what I have, my constant striving to get stuff, you know, that our, that our culture actually fosters within us through our consumeristic advertising and marketing and promotion. So it works contentment in me. It also fosters a kind of intimacy with God where I get quiet enough on the inside that I can actually hear God's voice to me. And it's it's an amazing thing to have been quiet long enough so that somewhere along the way in the day, God starts talking to me about my life, you know, and I start hearing God's voice to me because I have settled. And I might even receive guidance or whatever, not because I'm trying to wrestle something from God, but just because I've gotten quiet enough on the inside and I've allowed the other voices to become quiet, that God begins to help me to orient to my life in new ways and to give guidance. So I've mentioned, you know, as you've alluded to, that I'm just a better person on the Sabbath when I'm, I move more slowly, I'm more relaxed, I'm not as driven by what needs to be done. I'm receptive versus driving, hard driving. All of those things are things that I can't do for myself by human effort alone. They can only happen in me as I enter into the practice and then God has the space to do what God wants to do in my life. Mm, that's good. That's so good. Well, and y- you know, you said you're a better person on the Sabbath. That jumped off the page as well. Do you find, in what ways do you find that that bleeds over into the other six days after you've mm-hmm. done, you've, you've done this for 20 plus years? How, yeah. how do you find, how do you find well, that? 
I come into my week having heard afresh from God, usually, about what my priorities are or having gotten wisdom for something that I'm facing that's difficult. I also come into it more rested, and I think any human being is just a better person when they're more rested, when they literally have unplugged Mm -hmm. and slept long and napped and uh, taken walks and eaten good food and all of that that can go along with Sabbath keeping. A more rested person is a kinder person, a gentler person. When we've been kinder to ourselves, when we've been gentler with ourselves, we're kinder and gentler towards other people, and that's what they need from us. I think that in, on the Sabbath, many times when we've experienced God's love and delight in us, we bring a more loving presence to the rest of the world because we've experienced God's love for us, and we've experienced God's love beyond all the productivity and the achievement. And so Uh, Not only have we seen ourselves as being worthwhile beyond what we can do and achieve, but we come back into our work life with Sabbath eyes for other people. And we're more tender towards them and more loving towards them because we can see them as being more than a cog in the wheel of our own Mm, achievement-driven plans, you know? (laughs) We see them as being worthwhile and lovable beyond what they can do. So all of these things just can be carried over if we're attentive to it. Oh, that's really, really good. Well, and so that leads me to another theme that uh, thread that I saw uh, in the book, and that is limitations and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we live our lives as though we have no limitations sometimes, right. and we mm-hmm. certainly struggle with boundaries. How, how are those things affected by keeping mm-hmm. a, a regular Sabbath? Well, I'm so glad that you pulled that thread out because you're so right to identify it. Sabbath keeping by its very nature requires that we're able to acknowledge the fact that we have limits. By entering into a Sabbath, we're actually saying, I I have limits. I cannot work 24-7, seven days a week, every week. I can't live that way. I have limits and boundaries because I am a human being. And so by entering into the Sabbath is one of the strongest ways that we say, I have limits. And it's one of the strongest ways that we actually live as human beings, the way God made us in this world. And so just by doing it, just by doing it, we're saying I have limits, and that is transformative. We could even say uh, it's humbling, which is transformative, mm-hmm. because we're humbly saying to God and to others, I, I can't keep going like this. Other people mm-hmm. have to accept it. I have to accept it. I'm saying it to God, and it's humbling in the best possible way taking us to a very tender place. So to live within limits means then that we do have to have, we do draw really strong boundaries around the day itself. And uh, you know that I actually recommend that we have beginning and ending rituals around the Sabbath, that we know when it starts, that we know when it ends, and that we have even some rituals that will enable us to keep the Sabbath day for what it's intended to be. So yes, I think the Sabbath more than any other practice is associated with our lives as human beings who have limits, acknowledging that we are not created to go 24-7, to go and to go and to go and to go, but that in order for us to be well on this earth, we have to stop sometimes and have a day that's boundaried without work and the other concerns that consume us during the work week. Oh, that's really, really that's so much to chew on and it's so good. And the book uh, and the conversation has been great today. Thank you so much for all our patrons. We, uh, we have a, the final question, which we're going to do this season. And I'll have a question for Ruth. It'll be exclusively available to patrons. And she may have a question for me. And if you'd like to hear that, be a patron and you can get that taken care of and hear some more conversation about this topic that is so essential. Well, Ruth, it has been such an honor to be on this podcast today. 
it has been so great to be able to talk to you about this topic that I've heard you talk about, but nothing like the depth uh, that you do in this book. This book is, I think it's an essential book for every pastor. Uh, I think it's an essential book for every Christ follower, but especially if you are a pastor, I would encourage you to jump on this book because it will literally change your life. There are so many pastors that are getting out of ministry right now. This could mm-hmm. be a career changer for you. Uh, it Honestly, it could be an eternal difference, make an eternal difference for you. And so I, I would highly encourage you. It's a compelling read. And so jump on this book. It's uh, It's out on October 11th. And I believe you can pre-order it right now through most any place that uh, sells books. So I think you can, I would grab it right now. I wouldn't hesitate a moment if it was me having read the book. Uh, And thank you so much for being with us today. In fact, the truth is that our publisher, InterVarsity Press, actually has it available for sale on their website. So you can't get it through Amazon until October 11th. But if you just can't stand it and you want to get it now, I think you can get it from InterVarsity Press's website. Well, Rick, as we conclude this episode, I want to do what we do in the book, and that is to create some space for our souls to say something true to God. There's a section at the end of each chapter called What Your Soul Wants to Say to God. And so, Rick, I wonder for you, what is stirring in your soul right now at the end of this conversation? What does your soul want to say to God right now as we conclude? Oh, the thing that I believe I've honestly missed out on for my pastoral career and trying to run so hard and I'm not trying to keep ahead of anyone but I've missed out on this gift in many ways and I and I've this this teaching Ruth has really helped me to crystallize what Sabbath is about how much of a gift it is I I never thought of it that way before and so my soul is is screaming to God, please help me establish a practice of the Sabbath mm-hmm. that'll be a way of life that works from now yeah. on for the for the home stretch of how many years I have. Mm-hmm. Well, Ruth, you wrote the book, but you wrote it because it comes out of a passion. What does that bring up in you? What does your soul say to God at this point after this conversation? Yeah. Well, I found myself um, really in touch with the complexities of this for pastors and for everyone, especially in our current culture. So I found myself feeling a lot of compassion about how hard and complicated this might be for pastors and, and normal folks and just a longing that we would want it so badly that we will find a way. Um, That was what stirs for me again is just how complicated it is right now. But that doesn't mean it's not a gift that God has for us. And so what's stirring in me is that we would each uh, do the hard work like you described that you and your wife are doing. Just do the hard work of wondering with God, how can we do this for ourselves? Because it is a gift and it's a gift I want to receive. So God Mm -hmm. help us. I think I'm just crying out, God help us. God help us Mm -hmm. figure out how to receive this gift that you have given for our good. And now for you as our listeners, I would suggest and encourage you not to rush on to the next thing. Give yourself a few minutes to pay attention to your own soul. What does your soul want to say to God right now? What are the longings and the desires and the questions that are stirring inside you right now? Don't rush past that. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to jot some things down in a journal. But pay attention to what your soul wants to say to God and claim it and own it and be brave enough to own it so that you and God can have an interaction together. 
Mm, that's good. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen.